Locked On Dolphins, hosted by Travis Wingfield. Your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. I'm in town to play the Dolphins, you dumbass. What's up, Dolphins, and welcome into the Tuesday, December the 18th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, some interesting sound bites from two of Miami's best players. We'll play the audio, discuss what it means, and double down on the things said players told the media on Monday with a brief discussion on the coaching staff going forward. PFF grades are out. We'll briefly review those, and we'll finish up shop here with a little tutorial on team building. But first, before any of that, as always, I kindly invite each and every one of you to please subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us that rating. Leave us that review. Give me a follow on Twitter. It's at NFL. The show is at LockedOnFins, and you can find my work at LockedOnDolphins.com, the number one blog in the LockedOn Network, other avenues for my work, the Palm Beach Post, 3rd10.com, and of course, the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts, like the Locked On Heat podcast and Locked On NFL podcast for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. We have a busy Tuesday show. Let's go ahead and get things cranking. That's another Miami Dolphins. We are beholden to no sponsors on the podcast today, so it's going to be just me and some mid-roll inserts you guys are used to hearing, but... I actually, hearing that first down sound drop there reminds me of yesterday's podcast when I thought about taking off the first down and inserting my own audio saying sack. That's another Miami Dolphins sack. And we'll get to those nine sacks and how they happened here in just one minute. But off the top of the show here, we're going to start with some news. It appears Frank Gore's season has come to an end. That foot sprain on Sunday looked really bad to me. I thought he had broken something or tore something, but apparently it's just a foot sprain and the MRI came back positive but not positive enough for him to play the final two games, which ultimately is ironic because it leads into something that I've been harping about all year long, it seems. And first, I just want to say, because all offseason long, I kind of poo-pooed the Frank Gore signing, saying it was more of a publicity thing or whatever you want to call it. I thought there were better backs beyond him on the roster, but he's been fantastic this year. He was such a good player for the Dolphins. He meant so much to that team, getting them ahead of the chains, getting on schedule on offense and allowing them to open up the entire playbook on second and third down. He definitely exceeded expectations, probably more than anybody else on the roster for me personally. But the problem that I have is that there are a pair of backs behind him that I think are going to be much better than solid or already are better than solid or will be better than solid in the future. I think Kenyon Drake is already a special player. And if you listen to this podcast in the run-up to the draft, you know that I had Kalen Balaj as a special mid-round type of running back, the Kareem Hunt type of guy that can come in and really just explode onto the scene. I thought that of Kalen Balaj in the 2018 draft class. And on Sunday, he showed us some of the reasons why I felt that way. He ran away from the defense on a big gainer, something that Frank Gore wouldn't do. But it's just been a blocker that Frank Gore has been in his way because these two guys have been blocked out by what Frank Gore has been in his solid play. And earlier, I alluded to the frustration with some of the players boiling over in the media on Monday. So let's go ahead and play the sound here from two Dolphins players, two of their best players. And normally you won't hear players talk like this, but you can just tell by the tone of their voice and maybe the exasperation in their voice that they are frustrated. And it certainly sounds that way by the things they said verbally out loud. I'll go ahead and play the soundbite for you right here. This is Rashad Jones and Kenyon Drake and then back to Rashad Jones. 
I mean, it's whatever the best for his team. That's what they want. You know what I mean? I'm here to, to, to play football. You know what I'm saying? I can't coach and play. So whatever the coach want me, you know what I mean? You look at the film, um, I missed probably two times in the last five weeks. I mean, I've been making my plays, but uh, the opportunity that's been given, um, that's the only thing I can go with. So we'll go ahead and pause that real quick before we get to Kenyon Drake's comments at his locker on Monday to the media. And I think Rashad, or I know that Rashad talking about there is that he's been moved back to more of a free safety, kind of away from the football, which... I mean, come on. You, We've all watched this team long enough to know that Rashad Jones' biggest impact is down near the line of scrimmage, playing a quasi-linebacker role. And it almost feels like, just like they've done in the years past with Andre Branch or Kiko Alonso, they gave TJ McDonald more, I guess more respect for him as a player and what he's responsible for on the field. Now, obviously they have paid Rashad Jones. I'm not going to say they disrespected Rashad Jones, but pulling him back into the deep part of the secondary, maybe that has something to do with why he quit on the team earlier, playing back in free safety where he's really a marginalized player back there. He's never been great in coverage. He's phenomenal stopping the run on the strong side C gap, the weak side C gap coming down and closing those outside lanes for the running back to run through. And he really hasn't done that at all. And TJ McDonald, meanwhile, is getting those opportunities and making more plays than we we're used to him playing when he was back at free safety last year. So it seems that they're cutting off their nose to spite their face with this one and playing two players that play the exact same position, trying to force a round peg into a square hole, almost like they're playing Madden like an eight-year-old that says, oh, I'm going to find Rashad Jones and TJ McDonald and put them in the same defensive backfield together, even though they're the same player, but because they both have high Madden ratings, I'm going to be okay. It just seems like it doesn't make a lot of sense. And it's obvious how frustrated Rashad Jones is after he had two picks to open the season. Hasn't really had many opportunities since then playing back in that deep center field, something he doesn't do all that well. Let's go ahead and hear from running back Kenyon Drake now. Uh, it's December 2018 now. It's not December 2017. So, you know, whatever decision the coach kind of rolls with, you know, it is what it is, you know. That's why he gets paid. You know, he gets paid to make those type of decisions and I get paid to play ball. So that's what I'm going to focus on. I think that what Kenyon Drake means by it's 2018, not 2017, I'm sure the reporter asked him a question about this time last year when he led the NFL in rushing through the month of December because some people are telling me on Twitter that he's not a bell cow. He's not a guy that has earned the right to carry the football. Well, he did it last year and was the best running back in the NFL. So I don't really hear that argument beyond just listening to it and dismissing it. So Kenyon Drake's frustrated. Rashad Jones is frustrated. Let's go back to Rashad's comment here. They coach, I play. You know what I'm saying. If if they don't see the need to move me back, more me more effective. That's that's on them. You know what I'm saying. So whatever whatever they want me, whatever role that they they they, they need me at, that's that's what I'm willing to do. So. So they're both showing that they are company men and talking about the fact that they're going to do what the coaches ask them to do. And they're saying the right things, but the message is clear. These coaches are putting players in the wrong position, asking them to do things that doesn't necessarily really magnify their abilities and maybe hide their weaknesses, but rather just kind of saying, do this job. If you don't do it, whatever, we'll deal with the consequences. So, I mean, the best coaches put their guys in places in the best positions to win games and make plays. And this team is just not doing that at all. And just the fact that these guys are speaking out like this, isn't that kind of the idea of what the entire offseason purge was supposed to be about? This locker room remake that was supposed to make these guys rally around each other under adversity? Doesn't seem like that's working out very well right now. Are they going to just ship out Rashad Jones and Kenyon Drake because they spoke up and said something and are now considered quote-unquote malcontents, as I air quote that? Isn't that just what we're going to do? Ship everybody out who's unhappy by the awful management this team has been under for what seems like forever now? Well, shit, I'm unhappy too. Maybe ship me out. I don't know. 
All right, players are clearly frustrated by the misusage of this coaching staff and the players on the roster. I feel the exact same way, which is a perfect segue into our next segment coming up in the B block. And we'll get to that next, discussing general player misusage here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast at Winkfield NFL at Locked On Fins. PFF stats are up for the week. You guys can log on to PFF and sign up for your own account up there on profootballfocus.com if you guys want to see all of these numbers across the league-wide, getting pressure stats and their advanced stats, of course. Very good stuff from pff.com, as always. But I really wanted to dive into some of the pressure metrics from the game on Sunday when Ryan Tannehill took nine sacks in the game. They attributed, let's see, we got one to Nick O'Leary, two to Jawan James, one to Mike Gesicki, two to Kenyon Drake, and one to Kalen Balaj. Both Kalen Balaj and Kenyon Drake scored below a 10 in their pass blocking in the game. So the two young running backs, there's your answer for why Frank Gore plays over them so much more. And I understand that. I get it. But I also look at the big playability, the big strike ability, and how bad this offense has been and just moving the chains and being on the field. So I want the big play guys to be out there so we can try to score some points when they are sucking from the first quarter through the fourth quarter with just a couple of big plays mixed in. But nonetheless, these pressure numbers are looking just worse and worse by the week. The tight ends getting beat. Durham Smythe and Nick O'Leary getting beat for some pressures. Mike Kosicki's on this list every single week. Laramie Tunzel still didn't give up a sack. I think they gave that sack to Ryan Tannehill when he stepped into him. But 19 pressures and total. Looks like Jawan James had the three and Laramie Tunzel had two, a hit in a hurry. And they're giving just the one sack to Ryan Tannehill, which I don't think I agree with that necessarily. I will have more on that on the film review for tomorrow on the Wednesday show when I break down the all 22 and have the Ryan Ryan Tannehill passing chart up. But looking at the defensive players numbers from PFF, Jerome Baker, once again, the highest graded linebacker and player on the Dolphins defense. Cam Wake was up there. Raekwon McMillan, Ziggy Hood, Devon Godshaw, all the way down to Bobby McCain, who got absolutely roasted in this game. He allowed four catches on three targets for 22 yards and a touchdown. And of course, he had that missed tackle down by the red zone too. The Dolphins just in general did not bring their A game into that game on Sunday. And I talked about it on the podcast yesterday how it was a testament to poor coaching. It could have been a testament to good coaching and getting this team up to play after a miracle finish, which almost always leads to a hangover. And that's exactly what happened. 21-0, to 200 yards to 16 yards for the Vikings and the Dolphins offenses. Just an utter embarrassment. They did claw their way back in, which was nice to see. But again, it was a couple of big plays, a couple of fluky plays. I mean, picking off a screen pass, taking it to the house, a 75-yard rush. How often can you depend on that? Well, you can depend on it when you have guys that can make those kind of plays, but that's not been the Dolphins' forte this year. The forte has been playing guys that we're used to, playing guys that we know we can trust because they're older, and just putting the better players on the bench, something that has been an issue with this coaching staff ever since Adam Gaze was hired back in 2016. I don't think we have to necessarily go over all of the of the mismanagement issues from the last few years. I mean, we know about Arian Foster over Jay Ajayi. We know about Damian Williams splitting carries with Kenyon Drake last year before the injury forced Kenyon Drake to be the bell cow and how that worked out. It just piles up year after year after year. And we're going to go ahead and start here, not in any particular order, just with five or six grievances I have about roster usage. And I think it's pretty difficult to complain or to 
to really say that I'm wrong. I think all of these are pretty, pretty freaking obvious for any fan, a podcaster, or whoever you want to call yourself. These seem pretty obvious. First up, Brock Osweiler, in the midst of the end of that stretch where he played, where he was a starting quarterback for those five games, it became clear that he couldn't do it. He he was not capable of playing quarterback in the NFL beyond that Detroit Lions game. After that Lions game and the Texans game, he was awful and it continued to spiral downward enough to where they didn't even score a touchdown against the Jets or against the Packers, yet David Fells is still regarded behind Brock Osweiler. For what reason? I do not know. The running backs, you heard me talk about it already. Kenyon Drake has nine touchdowns on the year. He's made big plays. He somehow has a thousand scrimmage yards, which I'm surprised by that because he never gets used in the offense, in the passing game, in the running game. He gets about eight, nine touches a game and probably about 25 to 30 snaps a game. He should be getting a lot more than that. Not saying Frank Gore doesn't deserve what he's gotten, but get Kenyon Drake on the field more. Run more 21 personnel if you have to. Hell, I saw him run 30 personnel in the game on Sunday with Brandon Bolden, Kalen Balaj, and Kenyon Drake. Why not do that? The running backs have been some of their best players this year. Let's get Balaj and Drake onto the field and play those guys. Wide receiver, this one is so painfully obvious. And I think most Dolphins fans are probably over Danny Amendola after that game on Sunday. But remember this. He started off the season as a primary base starter in their 11 personnel package, their three receiver package with Devontae Parker, Kenny Stills, and Danny Amendola. And he'd never played less than Jakeem Grant or Albert Wilson when those guys were both healthy. Think about that. Danny Amendola playing more than Albert Wilson, more than Jakeem Grant. What are we doing? How does that make any sense? It doesn't. And what makes less sense is playing Vincent Taylor, who is still, he is still is one of the top 15 run defenders in terms of run stuffs in the NFL. He was that dominant at making plays at or behind the line of scrimmage. He was starting to add pass rush to his game as well with a couple of sacks and some more pressures. He was by far the best defensive tackle on this team when he was healthy yet he plays the third most reps behind Devon Godshaw, which I'm okay with that to a certain extent. But behind Akeem Spence, come on, man. And then Rashad Jones at free safety. He quit on the team. I don't think that's excusable for any reason whatsoever. But you're playing him at a position where he hasn't really played before when he's been an all-pro at the other position. And you did that for what? To get TJ McDonald more out of him? I just don't understand that. We know that Minka Fitzpatrick was a part-time player to start this season. And they finally wised up to making him a full-time guy. And yeah, he's had some bumps and bruises along the way. But you can't tell me he's not one of your top 11 defenders. You can't tell me he's not one of your top 5 defenders on this porous defense. Which, by the way, has allowed or is only 4 touchdowns away from allowing the most points in team history. I know it's a different era. But wow, this defense is going to be worse than the 2007 defense. Just completely, completely awful. And then the last one I have here, the linebacker rotation is upside down, and it's going to stay that way the rest of the year. I called for it back in September, October. They should have made Jerome Baker the primary. He's ready for it. He's the best linebacker on this roster by far. Raekwon's number two, in my opinion. And then there's a significant gap and Kiko Alonso, but instead that rotation flopped around the wrong way. You have Kiko on top, Raekwon in the middle, and then of course Jerome Baker's the number three. So quarterback, running back, wide receiver, defensive tackle, safety, cornerback slash safety with Minka, and linebacker. You have wrong decisions at just about every position on the roster. It's absolutely crazy. It's absolutely asinine. It's totally a fireable fence. And one last little note here to, th- to finish off this segment. There was a great thread up on Twitter by CK Parrott. We all know who he is about the staff construction and how Adam Gase hired basically his buddies and hired some retreads. There was a very concerning thing about hiring Chris Furster, who had behavioral problems of his own right before he got busted snorting cocaine at the facility. So 
Tell me, please, Adam Gaze fans and supporters. I support the guy. I will always support the guys that have the Dolphins logo on their shirt, on their hat, because I love this team. I, I love the Miami Dolphins more than just about anything, but I want to see him do well, and I, I'm going to tell you when these guys aren't doing well. So please, someone that thinks Adam Gaze is doing well, please tell me, besides winning a few games at home on some lucky, fluky plays, tell me what Adam Gaze has done to earn his keep on the Miami Dolphins going forward. Whew, changing gears now. This podcast is going to be a lot of vitriol, I feel like, over the next couple of months if things don't change. But we're going to finish this one out here. I'm going to lean on another podcast and their idea for some team building 101. I'll match that with the Dolphins' current situation. And we'll do that next on the Locked On Dolphins podcast at Winkle NFL at Locked On Fins. You've heard me reference several different football programs or podcasts on this particular podcast here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast. December the 18th, Travis Wingfield with you guys here as always. But throughout the years uh, on this show and as we are now on episode 315 with yours truly in the driver's seat. Wow, that's that, I didn't know that. But 315 episodes, the one thing I constantly reference on this podcast is the Move the Stick show because you guys ought to be listening to that podcast if you're a football fan. They both have scouting department backgrounds. They both work for the NFL Network. It's a great podcast, very great material, great banter between those two guys there, Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. But they ask a question that I think is really a foundation type of principle that you can construct your entire organization around. And the question is this, how many different ways can you win a football game? And you think about that with the New Orleans Saints last year, for instance. They knew they had Drew Brees in their back pocket. They knew they had a 5,000-yard passer, a Hall of Fame passer, a guy that can throw 40 touchdown passes in a year. But what did they do to supplement that offense with the passing game? They gave him Mark Ingram and Alvin Kamara and Ryan Ramchek and Max Unger up front. They shifted their focus at tight end to guys that can play both inline and detach and work in the running game. And now they have this incredible balance where they don't have to use Drew Brees, but when they need him, he's there for them. And defensively, they can take the football away. Obviously, the Baltimore Ravens have a great formula for winning on defense and the running game. And I guess the occasional big passing play from Lamar Jackson is available to them. They have multiple ways to win. The Chiefs, when they had Kareem Hunt earlier this season with the passing game, the running game, just so many different facets that can beat you. The Patriots just have about everything cooking almost every single year, whether it's Tom Brady or going back to the ground game. Who was that running back? I want to say Sam Conghetto, but that's not right. The guy that had 200, Jonas Gray, when he had 200 yards back in that Colts game, they find different ways to to get yards and to get points and to get wins. And then on defense, they can pick you off down on the goal line in the Super Bowl. They have multiple ways to win games. So how does that pertain to the Miami Dolphins? How many ways can they win a football game? The passing game, it's one of the worst in the NFL. The running game, I would say that's probably their best overall aspect of this team is the consistency of the running game. And a lot of that has to do with the scheme. And of course, Frank Gore being as what he was this year. And then obviously Kenyon Drake and so on and so forth. The pass rush, is that going to close out and win games? It sure as hell has it this year. Takeaways, that's a big way you can get things done with Xavier Howard, Minka Fitzpatrick, and those boys on that defense. How about making the offense left-handed, taking away the things they do best? Has this team ever done that? Doesn't Rob Gronkowski always eat the Dolphins' lunch? Doesn't the best player on the other team, Antonio Brown, back in the playoffs two years ago, always find a way to get their yards and their points and their touchdowns? 
Like I said, the Dolphins are four touchdowns away from allowing more points this year than the 2007 defense. I just don't see what part of this team you can say that's how he win football games on a consistent basis. So they're going to have to find a way to uncover multiple layers on this team, whether it's supplementing the running game, finding new aspects of the passing game. Maybe it's a new quarterback. Maybe it's a new play caller. I'm not sure. They're going to have to find ways to win football games because right now they just don't have a formula that they can go back to that they can lean on. They're just kind of winning games just by luck or by chance, I suppose. I mean, all these one-score wins, eventually that luck is going to run out. And when it does, it's going to be a sad, sad year. And that's when the team finally will bottom out. All right, guys, that's enough bitching for this podcast. I should have the All-22 Tannehill breakdown and chart at some point up today, as well as the rest of the All-22 cut-ups for you guys and discuss them on tomorrow's podcast just before we turn the page to the Jaguars for Crossover Wednesday with Zach Goodall. He's one of the best hosts in our network, so look forward to that conversation. But as for this episode, that is going to be my time. You guys, please, as always, be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us that rating. Leave us that review. Helps us grow up the iTunes charts. Of course, check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all your local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at WinkleNFL. Follow the show at Locked On Fins and keep up to date on our Daily Dolphins blog with pieces from Jason Harina up live right now on LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a great rest of your night. We'll talk to you again tomorrow for Crossover Wednesday, the Lockdown Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football.